Okay, thanks for tuning in to our podcast. I'm Dr. Stephanie Martin, and today we're going to be talking about indications for intubation. When should my patient be intubated? So those of us who are in the obstetric world, you know, we prefer that our patients not be intubated, but we all know that sometimes it's necessary. When I ask people, how do you know if your patient needs to be intubated? Whether it's nurses or doctors, I'm often uh, hit back with numbers. If the PO2 is this, then we should consider intubation. If the respiratory rate is that, then we should consider intubation. And I want to change your perspective a little bit today. I don't want to focus on specific numbers. I want to talk about general principles, concepts of when intubation might be necessary. Because, yes, the numbers are important, but they're not the only part of the picture. And before we get there, let's talk a little bit about the general stuff, respiratory failure in pregnancy. What causes this? There's a lot of different potential causes if you look at a list, but by far the most common, pulmonary edema, pulmonary edema, pulmonary edema, right? I mean, pulmonary edema can be a complication of preeclampsia, can be a complication of sepsis, infection, it can be a complication of cardiac disease. Pulmonary edema is the, one of the top causes of respiratory failure in pregnancy. Other causes, infections, pneumonia, pulmonary embolism, asthma exacerbations, There are others, but those are going to hit the most likely reasons your pregnant woman might need to be intubated. When possible, if you've got a patient who's starting to have respiratory compromise, respiratory distress, we're going to do a non-invasive approach first. We're going to elevate the head of the bed, recruit those airways at the base of the lungs, allow her to fully use her lungs. Of course, we're going to be supplementing oxygen. That could be nasal cannula or face mask. You're going to uh, use her response to her, with her pulse ox to dictate how aggressive that needs to be. You can escalate to non-rebreathing face masks so that you increase the amount of oxygen that's being inspired and decrease the amount of expired CO2 that's coming back in with the inspired oxygen. And you can, uh, in some cases, escalate to positive pressure ventilation, your CPAP and BiPAP, to try and force air or oxygen into the airways. But I don't want you to fixate on specific things. I must do this first and then this first and then this first. These are all things that are kind of being done in uh, in sequence and at some of them at the same time. You're going to elevate the head of the bed while you're giving supplemental oxygen and then you're going to quickly escalate if the patient's not responding. Now, some of your patients are not going to respond and they're going to require intubation. And I like to think of them in terms of four different categories that they might fall into. And of course, they might be in more than one category or have more than one reason for intubation. But in general, we can think about it in four different categories. First category, unable to oxygenate. Next is unable to ventilate. Then we have unable to maintain the work of breathing. And then lastly, the patient's unable to protect her airway. And I'm going to break these down into into even more detail one at a time. So the first is if you're unable to oxygenate your patient. That's different than ventilating your patient. I'll talk about that in a minute. We're focusing on inability to actually oxygenate the patient. So when your patient is hypoxemic, so hypoxemic is low amounts of oxygen in the blood hypoxic is low amounts of oxygen in the tissues. So usually we're measuring with the pulse oximeter and that tells us hypoxemia. We're providing the patient supplemental oxygen and we can't adequately increase her O2 sat. If you can't increase the O2 sat, you're not increasing your PO2, which is the amount of oxygen dissolved in the blood. And when you're giving your patient supplemental oxygen, 
the most common thing that we're measuring first is her O2 sat. We're looking at her oxygen saturation from the pulse ox. When hemoglobin is saturated 100% and your O2 sat reads 100%, then any additional oxygen that you're giving her is going to be dissolved in the blood. That's the PO2. So the first thing that happens is that O2 sat starts to drop. Your PO2, the oxygen dissolved in the blood, is then going to try and fill those sites on the hemoglobin to raise the oxygen saturation. When the PO2 can no longer fully saturate the oxygen uh, on the hemoglobin molecule, when it can no longer fully saturate that molecule, then your saturations start to drop. That's why it's such a big deal for that O2 sat when it's low it's such a marker for hypoxemia because it tells you that the oxygen dissolved in the blood is no longer adequate enough to keep the saturation 100% or 95% or even in the 90s on your pulse ox. That tells you your patient's hypoxemic. Now, what would make it difficult for us to oxygenate a patient? So we're putting oxygen in. Why isn't it getting across into the bloodstream? So some examples of this could be pneumonia, pulmonary edema, really anything. But what's happening is that you're putting oxygen in. It's going into the alveolus. It has to cross over that barrier, that tissue barrier from the alveolus into the bloodstream. And if that can't happen effectively, your patient will get hypoxemic. So that's unable to oxygenate. The second big category is inability to ventilate the patient. Now, oxygenation, uh, oxygenate is when we're trying to get blood from the, uh, uh, inspired from the lungs into the bloodstream itself. Ventilate is different. So this is when your patient is not able to breathe off the CO2 adequately. So ventilating is getting rid of that carbon dioxide. And if your patient can't adequately breathe off CO2, then your CO2 is going to increase on your ABG. That's hypercapnia. Now, there's a lot of different causes for this as well. You can have chronic lung disease. You could have your patient that's over-sedated and have problems with respiratory drive, so their respiratory rate is really slow. But sometimes this happens with severe asthma exacerbation. So because of the vasospasm, or vaso, or not vasospasm, because of the bronchospasm and bronchoconstriction, the patient can't get rid of any C of CO2 adequately. This might be your patient in the post-operative area that's uh, maybe got a high spinal or high epidural or has had general anesthesia and their respiratory drive is decreased. Or maybe they've had too high doses of sedative for them. So you'll see high CO2s. So that's unable to ventilate. You might be able to get oxygen in just fine. Their SATs are good, but their CO2 level is high. The third big category is unable to maintain the work of breathing. So for this category, one of the big questions is, what is the anticipated clinical course? So for example, you might have a patient who was initially hypoxemic. Let's say she had pulmonary edema and you gave her supplemental oxygen. She's now on positive pressure ventilation and you're able to keep her SATs up okay. She's blowing off CO2 okay, but she's requiring really high levels of support. Or maybe she's not responding well and her She's working really hard to breathe. You know that she's not going to be better in the immediate future. It's time to intubate that patient because she can't maintain that for very long. Another example of this might be a patient who has influenza. 
and pneumonia as a result. She's requiring higher oxygen levels. And you know that this is going to be a days, weeks, or sometimes even months long process for her to recover. It's time to intubate. The last big category is the patient who can't protect her airway. So who is this patient? Well, number one, you need to assume that all pregnant women have a difficult airway. So the last thing you want to be is in a situation where you have to re-intubate a patient who's just been extubated. So the patient who's had massive transfusion. If you extubate her too soon, she might not be able to protect her airway and you may end up re-intubating that patient. Other examples of this, well, what about the patient with an altered state of consciousness? Um, maybe she's postecamptic and she's got in a postictal state and she's at high risk for aspiration. What about the trauma patient? Okay, so she might have healthy lungs, but she's unconscious. And I would say probably the postecamptia, trauma patient, and massive transfusion patients are the biggest ones that fit into this category of unable to protect their airway. So the take-home message here really is that the decision to intubate is not a specific PO2 or PCO2 level on your ABG or a specific respiratory rate. It's an overall clinical determination based on how your patient falls into one of these four categories. Unable to oxygenate, unable to ventilate, unable to maintain the work of breathing, or unable to protect your airway. Thanks for tuning in.